This is the Real Estate Shop, where each episode will bring you a top industry expert to share their current programs or projects that are making an impact in our communities today. Be sure to check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Real Estate Shop. Today we have guests representing the city of Pittsburgh, Derek Tillman from Bridge the Gap Development, and Sabrina Miller representing the Uptown Hill District. Kicking things off, we'll start with Derek. Derek, tell us about your background and how you transitioned into your current role. Sure, sure. So uh, thanks uh, again, Stephen, Kervin, um, for inviting us to join you today. Um, as you said, uh, um, Derek Tillman, President and CEO of Bridging the Gap Development. Uh, we're a real estate development firm founded in 2006. Uh, and my journey to this point has been, uh, so I actually uh, graduated from University of Pittsburgh in 2004. And uh, upon graduating, I couldn't find a job. Uh, graduated with a degree in information science, and it was discouraging, a uh, very discouraging moment. But while in college, I was in a leadership development program called Coral Center for Civic Leadership. Uh, while in that program, we met a lot of different leaders throughout the city and uh, different sectors, education, government, business, et cetera. And uh, one particular gentleman, uh, you know, took a liking to me. We developed a relationship. Uh, he later became my mentor. So I reached out to him. Uh, his name was Greg and uh, just talked about my frustration after graduating, you know, growing up in Section 8 housing, really feeling like this, you know, things would get easier um, with a, you know, full-time employment. Um, so talking about my frustration, he said, you know what, I'm going to help you. So he set up some mock interviews with, with him and some of his friends and colleagues in different industries. And the thought was that, you know, uh, I can get some feedback, you know, kind of during these mock interviews and potentially an opportunity will come from it. Uh, so we did that. I met some great people. Um, but ultimately, at the end of it, I was unemployed. So Greg said, you know what, I'm gonna allow you to come work for me. So my first job actually out of college was working for Greg. He was a retired corporate executive from uh, Equitable Gas and also had a small real estate company with him and his son. So um, I went to work for him, helped him with a lot of board work, um, nonprofit boards, for-profit boards that he was on. Um, and he had a small real estate portfolio of non-performing assets, basically vacant properties. So I served as his project manager to get those properties back up and running, helped uh, hire the subcontractors, manage the projects. But then I also did the property, property management on the back end. That was one of my earliest experiences. Uh, got my real estate license also uh, shortly thereafter, and I started to sell real estate. Uh, really kind of developed an investor's niche, uh, worked with a lot of first-time home buyers, but also a lot of investors locally, nationally, ball players, et cetera. And I was learning a lot from my clients, kind of what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong, how they were structuring deals, how they were getting money, how they were getting financed. And, um, you know, it just became a point of, uh, of learning. I uh, bought my first property um, and, you know, it was really intended to be a flip, um, but it, it didn't sell. Um, and I, again, another discouraging moment. Um, but learned a lot throughout the process. Um, fast forward, um, after buying that property, I basically couldn't go back to the bank to get money to do another one. So I went back to Greg and said, you know what? Um, how about we come together and take this to the next level? 
he said, let's do it. So we co-founded Bridging the Gap uh, in 2006. We bought two more properties together. Uh, one we sold, one we rented. And I really saw this as the pathway towards growth. I wasn't really thinking development. I was just trying to be a real estate investor. Uh, in 07, an opportunity landed in his lot to own a restaurant at the Pittsburgh International Airport. Uh, neither one of us had restaurant experience. And he asked, hey, you want to be a part of it? I said, absolutely. And I saw this as a as a, another pathway to also invest in real estate. So we we took that over. We hired our own restaurant manager, um, you know, and here we are off to this journey. I ne helped negotiate our commercial uh, lease with the airport authority. Um, we uh, there was a union. Uh, so uh, we no negotiated a union contract, a lot of great experience. Uh, 2008, there was a recession. President Obama got into the office and there was an opportunity to do weatherization, the process of making homes more energy efficient. So I branched out from Greg, started a um, weatherization company with another gentleman from my church. And um, basically we took a $40,000 investment, built it into a million dollar business in the first year, a multi-million dollar business over the next few years. Um, I started around 2012, we started to not see eye to eye with my partner and decided to sell my interest. But prior to that, I got married in 2009 and we were investing heavily in real estate because, you know, weatherization was so profitable. Uh, we're buying properties cash, um, doing some owner financing, built a pretty sizable portfolio. When I exited the weatherization company, I also, uh, we bought a 20 unit. So, Basically, around 2013, I was uh, came to a crossroads, and it was like, all right, do we build this, uh, you know, this company into a couple hundred units, maybe a couple thousand units, cruise off into the sunset, or go into this heavily political world of development? And what really uh, helped me make that decision was I thought back to my childhood, growing up in Section Eight housing, moving a lot all over the city, being displaced by landlords, seeing developers coming to our community and not really respect the community or the people that live there, seeing family members displaced, uh, as well as, um, you know, just all the uh, professional experience I had, had 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 up to this point in selling residential, also sold commercial real estate somewhere along this journey. Um, weatherization, I had rehabbed close to 100 units at this point. Um, you know, uh, just all these collective experiences. Um, I, I, I knew between that and also the opportunities that I could create would be a lot more than I could just being basically a, a large landlord. So it became clear to me that I was to go into development because I could serve more than just me, my wife, and a few subcontractors. So it became more of a calling. And that's how we got to where we are today. Wow, man, lot, lot to unpack there and a lot of lessons along the way. Um, you know, the, the value of mentors and relationships, um, that knack for just making a decision and figuring it out, or like the airport situation, just like went for it. So um, that, that's good stuff. Really appreciate that. Sabrina, uh, we'll switch to you. Tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you actually started out and got to the point of where you are now. Sure. So um, I'm Sabrina Miller. I'm the real estate and development program manager with Uptown Partners. Um, so I've been in this state 
of Pittsburgh for six years um, as of this past January. And how I ended up here and the journey to where I am now is, is I think it's an interesting uh, path. So I'm a transplant from Detroit, Michigan, and uh, following my college years, I knew that I wanted to go into public service and I didn't know what that looked like. I had explored the Peace Corps um, and then I finally landed on uh, what could be referred to as a domestic Peace Corps, uh, AmeriCorps. And so I came to Pittsburgh to um, do the state and national branch. And I did that for six months and realized that's not what I wanna do. That's not how I wanna give back. This isn't, it didn't feel like me. Um, and so I joined the, I became a member of AmeriCorps VISTA, um, which their programming and they place people in spaces where we can affect some change with regard to economic development. And that was where I was like, this is how I give back. Um, so I was at an organization called Pittsburgh Community Reinvestment Group, and they had tasked me with writing a best practices guide for the Pennsylvania Abandoned and Blighted Property Conservatorship Act, more commonly known as conservatorship. And essentially that is um, a program for helping individuals, community groups, municipalities, et cetera, now land banks, um, identify blighted and abandoned structures and put them into productive reuse. Uh, so I ended up realizing that there were no best practices for that at the time and ended up writing a publication that went statewide about its use, some narratives, some examples, some wins and resources, and specifically, which I still focus on to this day, is policy recommendations. Um, and once that was over, that year um, of service was over, um, I got into community development with some nonprofit boards in my neighborhood um, and was continuing to pro bono consult municipalities and community groups around conservatorship and how to use it. Um, and then in 2020, um, ended up starting a, a company, residential contracting company. And the following year, I decided that I wanted to get involved in community development from a uh, legislative side and decided to run for council. Um, and that same year, I realized I really want to do this um, work with the team and have have some greater and focused impact. And I knew I wanted to go back to um, work full time in addition to the other endeavors I had embarked on and um, ended up applying for this role uh, with Uptown Partners as the real estate and development program manager and, and uh, came onto the organization in June of 2021. And uh, in this role, I essentially manage the built and unbuilt environment, both private and public, and identify um, opportunities and creative ways to address challenges with regard to uh, real estate and development in the uptown neighborhood of Pittsburgh. Got it. That, that sounds good. So, Kerber, uh, you want to take it from here? Yeah. Um, Sabrina, I was telling um, Derek that my wife is from Pittsburgh. She's from Penn Hills. And uh, when we were dating, it was, it was like we're in Pittsburgh every other month. So I got a good chance to explore the neighborhoods and, and to kind of see how it has evolved over the past, I would say, 12 to 15 years, uh, particularly around, you know, the Hill District and Homewood. Um, so it's, it's it's amazing to watch. Uh, now, uh, given the development that's happening, how many of that is being, you know, how much participation is being represented by minorities um, in Pittsburgh? Do you have a sense of? of what it's like uh is this a question for me or Derek or both if either if you have an answer some thoughts around it sure I mean I can speak from the uptown perspective right now we're seeing 
and the neighborhood is like I would I would estimate around like 1.5 rectangular uh, mile. So it's a small neighborhood um, amongst the collection of neighborhoods that make up the Hill District. But in Uptown alone, uh, we have six large scale developments that are black lit, um, which is exciting. And I've been asked uh, the question quite some time, like, how did that come about? How did you facilitate that? And I really did not facilitate that. And um, I think this is a pr proper, it's it's just a unique opportunity. Uptown has been overlooked for quite some time. Um, and we have some amazing incentives. Um, it's a key location. And I think that this is a perfect opportunity to um, have Derek kind of speak to that as one of those six um, Black developers who are, who are leading um, large-scale development in the in the uptown neighborhood. Before Derek jump in, Sabrina, do you mind explaining like how close Uptown Hill District is to downtown and what what that area looks like so people can visualize it? Yeah, so Uptown is the connector. Um, some people have been calling it a pathway <laughs> to progress or of progress, and it is situated um, between downtown and Oakland, and also about two minutes from the south side. Okay. Uh, so that puzzle piece that's being, you know, finally um, is being put into place to to create that uptown or downtown uptown Oakland district. Um, so, yeah. What's the demographics like? Um, if you exclude the Allegheny County Jail and right. Duquesne University, we do have about an even split. So sometimes it teeters. Um, it's about 49 percent. Black and fifty-one percent white. Uh, the last time I checked, so it's a pretty even split. Okay. Yeah, and I would just say, um, you know, there there are uh, unique neighborhoods like Uptown, um, where you're seeing uh, black developers, minority developers participating more. Um, and but most of the city is not being done, or or uh, there's not much participation from black developers. Um, in other communities where you have seen things uh, include Larmer, or the Hill District, um, and I, I think one development was done by a Black developer in Homewood. Um, but again, primarily, um, it, 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 is, it is not being done by us, uh, but there are uh, really developer-friendly uh, neighborhoods and communities uh, where I would definitely include Uptown is, is, is probably number one. Um, and, and the Hill District has uh, had times when it was, I guess, more friendly um, to developers and other times when it wasn't. So it's, it's somewhat, it almost depends on the time. But, uh, you know, we're, we're here. Uh, we continue to make our presence felt and continue to move forward uh, despite uh, the, the, the challenges uh, that, that exist. Wow, so that's uh, like seven Black-led developments, how much other development is going on within, that, I guess, just within that district? Um, most neighborhoods, that seven would be pretty much, like, amazing. Um, but apparently there's more development than just that, or is pretty much all the development being done right now, large development being done by uh, Black developers in, in that district? Yeah, so in Uptown right now, uh, I am very proud to say that I've worked on, provided letters of support, uh, or been closely tied with developers from the conceptual stage through where they get into the point where they they're getting their planning approvals and so right now i'm working on about 16 different developments um and they range from small scale um mixed-use development like one one occupant and maybe two um 
two units of housing all the way up to 260 unit um, multifamily development. Uh, and then even things like the, like just last week, we did the ribbon cutting for UPMC's new international vision and rehabilitation tower. Uh, so the, you know, Duquesne University also has its new College of Osteopathic Medicine um, that's being constructed right now. They're doing a, a, uh, a new 229 unit development. And then there's just a lot of housing uh, being proposed um, that I'm including in our uptown development pipeline. So there is a substantial amount of development happening and it's hard because, you know, as the person who manages the real estate development for this neighborhood, that's uh, in such a transition period. Um, I go through the neighborhood and can see like uh, it as a rendering where I can see the stuff being, you know, I know that's going to be there in the fall. I know that breaks down here and it's hard to uh, tell that story because I can't get people into my head. So I did recently, and I will be launching this week, the uh, an interactive development pipeline map where people can see highlighted what's coming, what's been approved, and then click on it to learn more about the projects. Uh, so we are we are seeing a great deal of development. I'm happy to be a part of it. So Derek, you talked about uh, your pathway into development. Just to drill down a little bit and go back to that that first uh, development deal, could you kind of just go back and Talk about you know the the challenges that you had on that deal once you made up your mind you were going to kind of scale past you know a large uh, investor and really go the path of the developer. Sure. So uh, what we what we had recognized is that you know in looking at individual projects you know they were small, but in aggregate what we had done uh, in aggregate was 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 you know substantial and was equivalent to you know, substantial projects. So we had to leverage those hundred units that I had done of, you know, duplexes, single families with the largest being a 20 unit, uh, in addition to the weatherization um, where we weatherize over 900 homes. Um, so I was able to leverage that from an experience perspective, because, you know, um, that's that's always one of the biggest things is, is experience and then also being able to, uh, support the uh, guarantee and liquidity requirements. Um, that also gave me leverage because I had built a portfolio as it related to net worth. So I actually had a pretty good net worth and some experience that I could leverage. Um, where I was lacking was the ability to sign guarantees and also liquidity. Um, but uh, I, I uh, springboarder from there, we did our first LIHTC deal. Um, we submitted in 2016, uh, completed it in 2018, um, and it was a 36-unit, uh, it was a 9% uh, LIHTC deal, low-income housing tax credit deal, um, a 36 units ground-up construction project, uh, about a $12.5 million project. And uh, our goal was, it was done in the Hill District. Um, just just up the road from Uptown. Our goal was to really to um, you know uh, you know bridge bridge gap bridge a gap, but also kind of raise the bar uh, as it related to affordable housing from a design perspective, energy efficiency perspective, um, as well as uh, supportive services. Um, but that was that that first project that we were able to 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 get completed. Um, but we we definitely uh, faced a lot of challenges uh, uh, along the way. We worked with a, uh, a development consultant. Um, they they were definitely uh, helpful. Um, 
but it was it was kind of that in addition to uh, the experience we had and then we had to be creative as it related to um, meeting the liquidity and guarantee requirements. A lot of investors tried to force a partner on me and tried to force a partner kind of down our throat. Um, but I remained resolute that, you know, we had come so far and we didn't need a partner. Um, and, and, and we stayed true to that. that. That's amazing. And I know that's what some folks will want to focus on because, you know, early on, um, scalability has kind of been JV in your way with the partner who's going to take the majority of your developer fee, which is pretty much the profit motive in a, in a affordable tax credit deal. Right. How are you able to, I guess, work around the, the liquidity and the guarantees because they would actually be coming from requirements from PHFA as well as I imagine the equity investors, you know, and if you guys had any debt on it, you know, they, they also have their own uh, guarantee requirements and, uh, net worth and liquidity. So that, that's a huge chunk. How were you able to do that? Sure. So um, it's it's complicated, but I'm going to try to give you a short version, you know, kind of a, a a collective puzzle that we had to put together to to do that. So the first was, as I go back to experience, uh, I had rehabbed over 100 units. Um, so I was able to list that as experience, weatherized over 900 homes, was able to list that as experience. So that that was the first point. Um, I had built that portfolio that, you know, me and my wife built over that time. So my net worth actually met the requirements from a net worth requirement. So those were kind of check, check. Um, they, you know, still tried to uh, pick at those things, but we were largely able to get past it with that. As it related to, um, so when we put out, we wanted tax credits, we put it out for pricing. And we were getting horrible pricing. This was this was before, uh, you know, Trump. So this is when pricing was pretty much at, at an all time high. Um, so we couldn't find an investor, or we were getting whack pricing, or they were trying saying we'll do your deal, but you have to partner with X. So we continued to put it out there to to more and more investors. We were able to uh, through a relationship stumble onto First National Bank. Um, who's now building their corporate headquarters in the Hill District. Um, but this was early on when they had a, a, a they had purchased a bank locally. They had a huge CRA need and they really needed me just as much as I needed them. Um, so we were able to uh, align ourselves. And typically you have a syndicator that finds your investor. In, in my case, my syndicators weren't really finding me investors. Um, other than the ones that were saying he has to partner. So we actually found our own investor um, just through personal relationships and that ended up being huge for us. Uh, so I negotiated our pricing um, directly with the investor and I was trying to get them to do the direct, the deal direct to essentially eliminate uh, the syndicator and you know not have as many folks I have to answer to. Um, but because they were new to the world of LIHTC, they were they you know weren't in a position where uh, they could you know uh, do it direct. So they were saying we we needed to work with the syndicator, um, or they needed to work with the syndicator. And they asked if we had been talking to anyone. And I said, yeah, there were a few. Um, one seemed to you know want to do the deal a lot, and they said they could provide us with pre development capital, which turned out to not be true. Um, 
So we ended up bringing them into the deal. Um, and they caused me a lot of heartburn um, as the time went on, um, even though we brought them into the deal. Things were seeming to progress. Um, and then we kind of came to a, a crossroads where, where the deal was, was, was halted. Um, they, we came to an impasse. They were trying to force us to, you know, um, do something that we weren't comfortable with. And we were at an impasse. Uh, I actually met another Black developer at the Pennsylvania Housing Alliance Conference. And we started to talk about our deals. And we, we shared each other's LOIs. And what I noticed was there were uh, components where they were requiring a lot more liquidity from me and less, less liquidity from him, or a lot more net worth from him and less net worth from, from me. So we actually used each other's LOIs to then go back and negotiate um, with our syndicators. It was funny because uh, that the syndicator I was working with saw us talking at the conference and it was almost like he saw a ghost. Um, and we we went back and, and, and that actually, uh, it was almost like iron sharpening iron. So we were able to, to, to use that. Um, and then, you know, kind of fast forward, um, they, they decided to go ahead and move forward with our deal, um, despite the impasse we had been at for some time. Uh, how we overcame the guarantee requirement is that we got our construction company to sign a construction completion guarantee. Uh, it was a large construction, billion-dollar construction company. So essentially, we leveraged their balance sheet through completion. Um, and then that uh, that guarantee fell off at completion. And, uh, you know, basically my developer fee or a portion of it was intended to stay in until stabilization. Um, so that is, uh, that was our secret sauce. You know, of course I signed the guarantee, um, but that wasn't what was really holding the weight. It was, it was the strength of the uh, general contractor in addition to ours. Um, coupled with, you know, the experience I had, coupled with the net worth that I had, um, that all kind of collectively uh, fit all those puzzle pieces to, to get us over the finish line. Well, I'm glad to hear that because people, I mean, always tell me that the, the alternative of getting the contractor to come in and guarantee the completion. And I've, I've yet to really hear a deal where that totally worked. Did, um, did they want a large guarantee fee for that or just a modest fee to do it? I'm sure they, they probably requested something in exchange for the guarantee. Uh, no. So, you know, I, I had come from the, you know, I had sold real estate as an agent residentially and commercially. So I really came from a negotiation background. Um, and I, my, my, um, perspective was you're, you're getting the GC fee. Uh, I'm, I'm bringing you into this job. Um, you know, you're making money on that side. This is how I make money. Um, so, my care, I felt like the carrot was was enough with the fee on construction. So that's what we landed on. So I didn't have to pay them any any additional monies uh, to put that forth because they already had was were, were signing a, um, a a lump sum contract. Um, so it, it really wasn't you know much at least from my perspective much more than what they were already 
signing and providing. Um, it was just, you know, you have to finish the construction. Um, and then this falls off and, you know, essentially you get, you know, all, all of your feet. Um, so then we negotiated in a way that, you know, it didn't cost us any, any additional funds. Um, but I do know that, you know, there's GCs that, you know, essentially try to require more. Um, I think you have to stick to your guns and, and understand that you already have leverage with the client, with the uh, construction contract as it is. Oh, good stuff. Derek, you mentioned that you worked with your, with your wife. What was that like? Yeah. So we had a, uh, a separate company that was doing property management as well as kind of managing our own portfolio. And she was, you know, working with me doing some administration and some things early on. And it, it was fine early, but she didn't really like it. Um, didn't have a love for the business. And, um, I always knew it was going to be short term and, and she knew it was going to be short term as well. Um, but then we started to have children and decided that she would be a stay at home mom for a period. Um, so it was really during that time where she transitioned out and, you know, we kind of, you know, took things forward uh, from there. So it, it served a purpose uh, for a period, you know, cause we couldn't afford to pay anyone at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it was, uh, I don't think it was ever intended to be long-term. Gotcha. And you still have your own property management business? No. Um, I, as time went on, I realized that was the least part of the business that I liked. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, we, we, we probably still manage a few little small units, but largely we've uh, transitioned everything over to a third-party management firm. All of our uh, tax credit deals, everything we're doing that's in our pipeline now um, is is going to be with the property management firm. And I'm selling, I've uh, sold most of the smaller portfolio that we started with. Um, so eventually, you know, that'll either be sold or, or transferred over as well. Um, but we're not really doing any uh, property management these days. Okay. So I know um, everything, every deal is different. And uh, you mentioned the challenges that you, you know, kind of had to work through on your first deal. Uh, do any of these challenges still exist today? Because, you know, I have developers telling me that the, um, particularly the challenge of guarantees and net worth and liquidity, you know, they're, they're obviously they're on every deal, but they seem to be challenges on every deal that the folks I talk to end up overcoming. How's that work for you on some of the deals you do today? You're still finding the same challenges? Uh, we are. And, you know, largely because even though we were able to get that deal done um, at every um, stage, my developer fee was always kind of held hostage, no matter what it was. So by the time we finally got it, it was so kind of diluted down over over a period. You know, we had to kind of borrow money um, to get to the next phase that when we got it, we were kind of paying back the you know, the bridge loan that we got. Um, so it really, you know, it, it positioned us to move forward uh, from an experience perspective, but not really from a, a liquidity or, or wealth building perspective. So, um, so, so we, we move forward and um, today uh, pre-development, you know, it's, it, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to move a deal 
from you know uh, conception to completion, um, or even from conception to construction start. Uh, so pre-development, you know, remains a challenge, especially if you're doing multiple deals. Um, the guarantees um, still remain a challenge, um, as as well as you know the liquidity requirement has actually increased. Um, so we're uh, having to be creative with by finding uh, CDFIs locally, nationally, um, or, or uh, syndicators or investors that have platforms and programs set up to help minority developers. Uh, Enterprise being a, a good one um, that we've been able to connect with their um, equitable path forward um, fund. Um, so we have to basically kind of scour the nation and, and find uh, things that align with what we're trying to do to help us with uh, various uh, components of, of, of the deal. Um, the other is to find uh, lenders um, that have, you know, more creative terms, uh, whether that be, uh, you know, interest rate or, you know, uh, cash flow loans, soft loans um, that, you know, really help deals work. Um, that's that's kind of an, another thing. And then, you know, unfortunately, I can't just be a developer. I also have to be a leader uh, as it relates to policy. Uh, so we are, you know, advocating for things like the uh, Pennsylvania Opportunity uh, Opportunity Developer Fund um, that, that PHFA is, you know, uh, working to institute. Um, you know, so that, but then there's other resources uh, locally, at, uh, as well as at the state level, um, really advocating, pushing, um, helping to design uh, new new platforms to really help aid minority developers um, with their deals, whether that is pre-dev, um, gap financing, soft loans, uh, or equity, because uh, largely, the equity market is not available to us. There was a New York Times article that uh, that was published a few, uh, um, maybe a month or so ago, that said out of $82 trillion nationally, trillion with the T, um, less than 1.3% goes to black and brown developers. And actually that number includes women. So 98.7% of $82 trillion goes to white men. So Basically, the equity market is not there for us. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's all these different things that exist locally, nationally, um, that we have to tap into to help us as, as we move forward. It's interesting enough, uh, Kerber and I, we had, uh, we did National Equity Fund last week, and they also have a, a fund for black and brown developers. Of course, they're syndicators. And the idea is great. They do a uh, guarantee stop, meaning that they'll guarantee completion, but you have to have an allocation because obviously, you know, they're syndicators and that's what they do. And it's kind of like the chicken and egg, an egg to get the allocation, uh, a, a small or starting out developer runs into what you just talked about, the guarantees, the liquidity, the net worth, the experience. So a lot of those developers can't even get to the allocation to take advantage of what, you know, NEF is doing. You know, right. It sounds like something that you might even be able to take advantage of since you know you've been successful in getting allocation. But you know, interesting that you bring that up. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let me just ask. Go ahead, Kurt. 
Sabrina, um, you know, given what you're doing and up to Hill District, you know, what what's kind of a pitch where that you you're telling developers um, to try to lure them into into doing work in your community? Are you in, are you looking for primarily local developers? Or are you also soliciting um, out of town developers to uh, to look at your um, your part of, of Pittsburgh? Yeah, so um, I've kind of recently, over the last maybe six months, switched my strategy in terms of actually not just being on the receiving end of developers saying they want to invest and just because of the way some of the policy in the city is set up for registered community organizations like ours, um, developers have a responsibility um, and a requirement to engage with community groups. But I know the neighborhood so much and what's going on because I'm so intimately tied to everything that's happening here that over the last six months, I've sort of switched gears and instead of being on the receiving end like like of just vetting developments that come to us, as I had mentioned, but now shifting and going to court that development based on the things that I know. So, um, you know, Uptown is so unique and we have some of the more um, recognizable and larger stakeholders um, in the region and state located right here in our neighborhood from Duquesne University. And we, you know, we have a national hockey league team uh, by way of the Penguins and UPMC, as I mentioned before, and their new international hospital. Um, we just, some of our utility companies have a strong footprint and visible structures that are coming up here. And then we um, have that transportation and mobility piece um, through the new um, bus rapid transit system that'll be going into um, uptown over the next about year, year and a half. And so um, oftentimes when you're talking to, like right now, I really wanna court life sciences more life science companies into the neighborhood to add that industry component and create like a hub, uh, especially since we're so closely located to Oakland that has mm -hmm. the universities like like CMU and such and all the work in, that they're doing with the innovation district there. It's a make sense place to want to start to establish, especially as we see the housing. So what is the innovation district? Uh, so there's innovation district programming that's happening in o Oakland, but, but Uptown is also the is touted as being the world's first eco innovation district. Okay. Um. So I want to build off of that. Like, wh where is the innovation part of that? Um, in conjunction with all the other assets that I just named, that are real draws to, um, industry and and new businesses and startups. Um, and also just people who want to be in the next neighborhood. So some of our neighborhoods are pretty much complete. We think about the strip district and and Lawrenceville and Oakland and downtown with its challenges and, and Southside with its like this uptown is not what's next it's what's happening and so telling that story is and understanding development is a way that I'm starting to want to put together this thing about how do I go and seek that I know what the needs are I know what the concerns are how do I go and seek that and I think one of the uh, another component that I've been glad that I've been leaning into more is that there is a community perspective and desires for certain types of developments and affordability components. But there's also, um, as Derek was mentioning earlier, there are some challenges that I think um, community groups um, must understand when it comes to trying to leverage givebacks, you know, from development. So understanding construction costs and interest rates and some of the obstacles faced when trying to put affordable units into a project when affordable units cost the same much to develop as, as a market rate unit. Uh, I think it positions community groups to speak from a place of experience and, and knowledge, uh, whereas the part they can be more partnerships than more so of an ask and a give type 
relationship. And so that that is where I'm at right now. And I've really been leaning into just understanding the developer standpoint so that I can advocate for the neighborhood that I work for um, even better. The upper uptown Hill District is pretty walkable. How are you thinking about your retail strategy? So most of the developments um, that have come through, at least at least four of them, they've allowed me to um, embed myself on their projects because I'm able to help them understand the landscape um, entry points, um, you know, pairing them with affordability consultants like like Steve to talk about like, it, this is a market development, what are some alternative strategies to putting affordability into my project? That's an example. Um, but because of that relationship and that trust building and me creating myself as a resource while still standing firm on what the community's values are, um, a few of these projects have allowed me to embed myself onto them. And so I know what some of the things are that we need. So for one of our projects, um, it'll have 6,600 square feet of retail space. Uh, we've worked out informal but definitive agreements around uh, a grocer being put into that space. And the Hill District being commonly known as a food desert, we'll see another market go in at some point um, in, in the upper neighborhood um, of the Hill District. But we're also slated to see that same type of investment. So I can identify a concern I can understand the solution based on that concern and then kind of gear them towards what to fill that retail space with. And another property that's gonna have 12,000 square feet of retail space, a block size development by Alpha Residential. Um, it'll have that 12,000 square feet of retail space. And um, one thing when you start to think about a development is that there's the, there's just the design components that are really important. There's the retail that's important, how accessible it is the units are to people from a range of different incomes. All those things are um, important. But when you're placing that building into a neighborhood, it, it needs to connect with the neighborhood. And so with the Alpha Project, I really spoke to them about like early on, like the building doesn't feel to connect. We got to this really great point where it does. And that's because it didn't have like a theme or a soul to it. Well, how does this tie into the neighborhood? And so health and wellness in conjunction with the uh, bus rapid transit system and the bike lanes that come from that, their retail space is currently going to be focused around that component and, and elevating that in the neighborhood. And because I've been able to, so I've been pairing them with property management and, and businesses that would be a great fit, um, specifically minority and black owned businesses as well. So it's being an asset, I think, and creating that partnership, um, that is part of the retail, retail strategy. And also just getting a hold of these blighted and abandoned commercial structures that line our corridors on Fifth and Forbes and figuring out productive ways of reuse, contacting the owners, figuring out if conservatorship is the right tool, um, understanding people who wanna buy and getting them in contact with the owners, uh, those types of things. So this is whole thing that when it comes to community development, these different components, but it's really about strategic and intentional partnerships. And, and being close to universities and student housing part of the, of the plan at all? Yeah, so uh, another, uh, master plan called for about 630 units of student housing in order to offset, you know, some of the needs and strains from students who need to live in the need to live in the neighborhood to be close to the university, but it could be a strain on our residential cores. Um, in Uptown, partners will have been partnered directly on projects that have met that uh, five-year timeline to do such. So Duquesne University will be build is building a new 229-unit dormitory. Um, a collaboration with Fountain Development uh, that'll be doing two separate buildings, one, one complex. Uh, they'll be bringing 260 units. And then some of the other 
you know, smaller 51 unit uh, market rate developments have lent, lent themselves to students. And so those are almost at 100% capacity. And so we'll reach that 630 um, units of student housing or housing that targets students or entry-level workforce um, within that fifth year mark if we exclude some of the time lost with the, the pandemic effects. Uh, and these are mostly local developers? No, it's a mix of local and out of state. Okay, gotcha. Just out of curiosity, and um, this could be a, a Derek or Sabrina, does the city of Pittsburgh really offer incentives for, for, for affordability? I know it seems like for the uptown district, um, inclusionary zoning is not one of the things that they actually offer, or sounds like not even, um, say, real estate tax abatements, but is that just uh, for the upper uptown uh, district, or does are there other sections of the city where you know these tools are used by the city, or they just don't do it citywide in terms of uh, incentives? So there are no requirements for affordability um, in the city of Pittsburgh. I mean, there are some neighborhoods that are, um, I would say, piloting the inclusionary zoning. Uh, but there, there. I mean, I think for us, there are no, there's no requirements, and I think that's what makes the and and that makes it tough for us to make these requests from market rate developers to instill affordability into the projects when there aren't really, I think, streamlined ways to access um, incentives. Uh, but I think Derek would be great at speaking speaking to that specifically. Yeah, just to piggyback on that, there's only one neighborhood that has a, an inclusionary zoning overlay, um, and that's Lawrenceville. It's a 10% requirement, um, but that's you know, pretty much uh, it's a neighborhood that's been gentrified. It's pretty much 100% market rate at this point. So they kind of had to do it, but um, there's nothing like that that exists in any other part of the city of Pittsburgh. As far as other incentives, like as far as financing, GAP financing, the URA has some programs. So they have a, a housing opportunity fund um, that gives out $10 million a year to help preserve and create more affordable housing. But only four million, about four million of that per year goes in a gap financing uh, of affordable housing deals. The rest of it's for like, you know, down payment and closing cost assistance for new home buyers and, and other other forms of uh, support. Uh, so it's just merely not enough. There, there are uh, a few million uh, in addition to that in home dollars that the city or URA gives out. Um, but again, our, our, we have a close to 20,000 unit affordable housing crisis. Um, so the although the gap financing that is uh, a part of kind of the, the URA's uh, budget is helpful, um, it's, it's not meeting the current demand. Uh, the housing authority is largely tasked with doing this and you know they're not meeting it uh, solely either. They do have some gap financing uh, available that you can apply for. There's an RFP released every year, um, and they it's basically a project-based voucher and gap financing um, RFP. Um, so this this has also been another helpful tool. Um, but part of the problem is is none of these things are aligned. Um, you get one, but then you still have a gap, and then you may not get the other one. Um, so the 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 misalignment is really hurting us, is really hurting our city. Um, but in addition to that, 
we need a lot more resources than what's currently available. Yeah, I hear you. At least you get project-based vouchers. They don't even offer that in Philadelphia, and um, which really makes it tough. Mm. But um, I guess we'll we'll go in and start looking kind of looking forward, starting with Derek. Um, in terms of how many units you have now, you know, what are you looking to do in terms of scaling your business? And uh, at some point, if you haven't already, are you going to move you know, beyond um, the Pitts Pittsburgh uh, geographic? Sure. So we have uh, quite a bit of deals uh, in the pipeline slated to start construction this year and then several others, you know, in subsequent years. But I'll just mention uh, a few. So uh, we're working on a project right in uh, in Uptown um, in, in the neighborhood that, that Sabrina um, does her work. Um, and it is uh, a very important corridor. Uh, known as Fifth and Dinwiddie, where we're developing both sides of the street. Uh, so one side is uh, it's, it's an office building. Uh, so 20,000 square foot uh, adaptive reuse of an existing building. And then we're adding a 20,000 square foot addition. Uh, so it's a 40,000 square foot building. We'll include office space, co-working space for small businesses. Uh, we're slated to have a coffee shop. And then we're also uh, thinking about that, that uh, that economy that um, Sabrina talked about, we're doing a training center focused on clean energy jobs. So teaching folks how to install solar panels, uh, EV charging stations, et cetera, uh, directly, uh, and that's a new market, tax, new market tax credit deal. Directly across the street from that, we're building uh, 171 units, um, mixed income housing, um, a, a minimum of 50% is will be affordable. Um, it's two buildings uh, connected by a sky bridge, but it also, uh, in building one, also has 12,000 square feet of retail. Um, so it's a very complicated deal, condo structure, uh, et cetera. Uh, just up the road, actually across the street from our other LATEC deal, we're um, renovating adaptive reuse of a former school, um, the former Miller School, which will be 41 units. Um, this is an 80-20 deal, 80% uh, market, 20% affordable. Um, so just a few things. Um, again, there's other things in our pipeline, but those are uh, our priority projects for this year. Uh, we definitely have uh, been invited to participate in some other markets. Um, one that I'll mention is where Sabrina comes from, Detroit. Uh, so we've been talking to some folks about doing some things there. Uh, do have interest in the DMV, um, but I think the, uh, uh, and again, others, we've had conversation in other, uh, other states, but uh, the one that we're looking hard at um, actually doing something uh, outside of Pittsburgh or even Allegheny County most likely will be Detroit first, um, but uh, we got a pretty healthy pipeline, um, you know, here, here, here in Pittsburgh. Why Detroit there? Uh, we one um, we have some grassroots rela grassroots relationships with some people there on the ground. Uh, there was a need, um, you know. We were able to kind of bring our uh, our vision as it relates to bridging gaps, bridging gaps of opportunity, and bridging gaps in development. Um, and uh, you know, through that relationship on the ground. 
Um, we've been talking about, you know, being able to bring our work and our services there. Um, in addition to some of the folks that we work with um, locally also have offices uh, in several markets, but one included includes Detroit. Um, and they seem to be um, uh, minority developer friendly. So not just developer friendly, um, but minority developer friendly. So those are some of the things that we look for um, before, uh, you know, actually moving on an opportunity in another market. If you had to start, you know, over again, uh, go on the path for development, is there anything uh, you would do differently? Um, actually, I would not. Um, the challenges that we had to overcome forced me to be more creative. Um, it also forced me to uh, think about things um, in, in ways that just being able to throw money at, at, at it, I would not have been as, as well-versed um, and versatile. Um, and, and also, we don't just do affordable. We do affordable market rate commercial. So um, because of that, even if there's a you know, down market, just say, for example, a market rate, we can focus on more affordable. Um, so I wouldn't change anything. Um, but as far as what I would change going forward, it's uh, having a, a major fund in every state um, available for just minority developers, as well as a federal um, fund uh, that's available for minority developers uh, nationally. And, and these funds being able to be used in the form of equity, pre-dev, gap financing, soft funds, whatever your deal needs. That's what I would change going forward. But as far as my path, um, I wouldn't change anything. Sounds good. Yes, so what are your future goals? And we'll let Kevin uh, wrap it up. But do you have any desire to break into development yourself or just what are your goals for yourself uh, as well as the district? All paths that I've, I've, I've been following since I came here have all started with something to do with real estate from when I wrote the conservatorship um, law to where I am now working very closely with developers and, uh, you know, identifying opportunities and addressing some challenges that have to do with um, real estate development as it pertains to uptown. So every path, even in the, the residential general contracting business that we have, all, all things have to do with development. And so I think I'm already in it. What does it look like moving forward? Um, if I, I just want to see how this un unravels. I really am interested in the relationship part of it, connecting the dots, uh, getting people to the point where the development comes up. And I think I'm I'm a good, uh, I think that is a good lane for me, at least in this moment right now, to sort of help streamline, provide resources, um, get um, developers to understand the community perspective, get educate community groups on the developer perspective, um, keep making those strategic partnerships and, and connections and to see this stuff happen more quickly and still respons responsibly. That's a great, I'm in a great space right now. Um, but anything can happen. Uh, anything can happen. I'm just, I'm really enjoying learning uh, the developer perspective right now. Sounds good. I guess if you, this uh, pathway, and I actually have to get to Pittsburgh. Uh, we, we, we were talking before and um now, I went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I've been to the Hill, had friends there, but certainly that's been many years. Uh, if you could project out like five years, uh, the Uptown Hill District, uh, 
from, I guess, a perspective of five years out compared to what it is now? Yeah. So with Uptown specifically, I think uh, I think Uptown is the catalyst for change in the Hill District. Um, I think just the way that Uptown Partners has pivoted and become partners of other community groups in the Hill um, and getting to 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 know people and get our story out and and you know really telling around those assets that are integral to I think Pittsburgh's growth. Just that transit and in, in the the medicine, education, uh, the housing, the retail. Um, all those things that are in our pipeline, I think, will be the catalyst for change that the Hill District has desperately needed for quite some time. Um, and then there are other significant projects happening in, you know, the Lower Hill um, as well that I think, you know, play off of one another. And in, in five years, I expect this to be a population, specifically in this neighborhood, that's probably tripled due to the housing that's coming here. Um, but I see it as one of the, I see Uptown as one of the integral parts of um of Pittsburgh and with people and, and and foot traffic and an identity that's clear to people. Um I see that and I see tech here and, and it making sense about life sciences and why it's in this neighborhood. Um, and I'm hoping that there's more opportunities for equity. So we talk about affordable housing and, and the units. Um, I'm really hoping that there are opportunities for um, entrepreneurship and getting into some of these uh, blighted and vacant structures, uh, commercial structures. And I've been having those conversations as early as this morning, what that looks like. Um, and more more ownership of the neighborhood in a responsible way. Um, avoiding some of the mistakes I think happened as communities started to see investment and, and really there was no model to look for how to do that responsibly. Doing this in a, in a great way, especially as we see all this market rate. So more housing, um, more innovation, more industry, more people, um, and more acknowledgement about how Uptown is that puzzle piece that's going to help connect downtown Oakland and the Upper Hill neighborhoods. Um, so that's what I see. That's my vision. Uh, and it's happening. That's awesome. I think, yeah, what you just laid out really lends itself to really a vibrant community. I think what Marimba is doing too um, in the Hill District, it just adds to that. Um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be, Pittsburgh's going to look differently. The next couple of years, I think with the anchors that are already there, Carnegie Mellon, University of Pittsburgh, Strip District, PNC, FMB, mm -hmm. you've got the uh, sports teams within walking distance here uh, to your neighborhood. It, it's really attractive for tech companies, I think, like you mentioned before, and uh, and for, for larger companies to move in because you get the talent base there and just you got quality housing for, for your employees. Um, it really makes it a, a, a real attractive city to be in. I'm glad that you guys are at the forefront of that. What what's some ways that you know developers can get in contact with you if they are interested in Pittsburgh and and want to kind of explore some opportunities? Yes, sir, just... I, can, I can be reached at s miller at uptownpartners.org. I'm happy to have those conversations. And the interactive map is going to be on your website. Yes, it will be on our website and then on my you know LinkedIn and on the Uptown Partners platforms as well. I'll be pushing it out there as well. And Derek, I know, you know, a lot of the syndicators and direct investors are probably interested in talking to you going forward. Um, should they just reach out to you via the information on your website as well? Yes, they can uh, reach out to me on my website, uh, LinkedIn, um, or via email um, at detailman at btgdevelopment.net. Um, they can find me. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for the gift of time. Steve, got anything to say? No, absolutely. Uh appreciate you guys joining.
uh, I will say for Sabrina, regarding the life sciences, um, you know, Philadelphia basically leveraged the University of Penn and Drexel University, and they literally created the life science uh, industry in Philly, which is a top 10 industry. And it's actually the only real thing going in terms of commercial real estate in the city. Uh, and I know you guys have great universities there. And um, if they haven't started, um, they're definitely the folks to, to knock on their door. But glad both of you guys can join. Uh, we will be back in touch. And thanks for being on the shop. Another day at the shop. Content they can't get anywhere else.